You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Friday, so it's time for the weekly wrap. The week is almost over and reviewing. The week that has almost concluded is Arnu Schmidt from Sky Blue Fund Manager speaking to us from Somerset West in the Western Cape of the Republic of South Africa. And you've been away, Arnu, doing all sorts of things on the coast and you've come back refreshed and with fresh ideas and you can tell us about how you've been looking at the market, probably from a little bit of a distance, but with an interested eye, I'm sure. And I'm sure you've got some ideas about what's been going on since we last spoke. Yeah, look, uh, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. We've just written the month end report for the end of March, um, and uh, yeah, from, from a top down point of view, it looks uh, it looks uh, a mess. To be honest, I mean, if you if you if you start looking at different factors, trade talks, you look at the Fed being accused of being over overly aggressive by the president. Uh, Trump, uh, and then you draw that back into Brexit, which is a complete disaster. Yes. And then if, if you want to look a bit further, you can include the whole Chinese reform and all of that into the global mix. And then if you look a bit further or, or closer, in my case, uh, to South Africa, it looks even worse. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and that's the, I think that's one of the points I try to make in the, in the March um, summary for the month of March, because obviously a lot of Clients, I think, is getting very concerned, and um, there's a lot of people punting offshore, and the likes. And it's normal for this this time of the cycle. Uh, we've seen it before; it's not the first time it's happened. Um, but it's also worth looking from a bottom-up type of view, so valuation-based uh, point of view. And um, if, if you just what I just a very crude form is is just to to subtract the earnings yield on on the all share. You take that and you subtract a cash-free yield something like a jar bar three months or whatever you want to use, a very short-term rate. Yeah. And if you do that and you look over time, the odds are actually skewed in your favor to outperform cash over the next year from current levels. So if, if you look at all the periods with similar type of, of, of differences in the earnings yield versus the cash yield, uh, you've got a 20% chance of underperforming cash and you've got an 80% chance of outperforming cash. So... What, 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 what I'm trying to, to, to tell clients is that look, the market is not yet dirt cheap, but the market is definitely not expensive. And it looks as though the odds are, are in your favor. Um, so it might be time to, to start taking some risk on, on board. And we are, funny enough, um, why I started thinking about this is uh, the latest, well, actually the, the latest, latest <laughs> fund flow uh, reports that came out of the States. Remember, they, they look across the globe and they look and see where, where money is flowing. And um, South Africa is, is one of the, the countries with the biggest inflow, which is astounding if, if, you, if you're looking from South Africa outwards. It doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody want to buy South Africa? Um, but clearly people outside of South Africa are seeing something differently, looking at stuff differently than what we are looking at from the inside. Stuff like, for example, the real yields on bonds, our real yields is actually one of the highest in in the in the world currently. So yeah, I think what you've got to do, Arnu, before you before you explain any more, I think what you've got to do is now you've got to actually be specific. When you say the market, eighty percent chance of you the market beating cash rather than twenty percent chance of you underperforming cash. When you say the market, are you talking specifically about domestic focused JSE or the JSE overall when it includes Naspers and British American Tobacco and Anheuser Busch, etc. All those companies that don't. Really Really do much here. What is your specific market that you're talking about? 
That is a that is obviously a very good question. Um, the market look it's just a crude indicator, so don't take it as a tool. It's just an indicator. I just want that rightly, but it's it's the all share. So okay. if you were to strip out if if you were to strip out Nasdaq, as we all know, Nasdaq is about twenty four percent of the index. If you strip out Nasdaq out of the index and you, you obviously reweight the rest of the index in terms of earnings yield, it actually looks far better. Now, theoretically, you can argue, yeah, but you shouldn't do that because you're now comparing apples with pears because you've got a historic index that's got Nasdaq and, and other big uh, companies like BHP Billiton. Remember that we've had in the past, we had exactly the same problem with resource companies where resource companies was almost 50%, if not more, of the index. So it's debatable whether you should do that. Um, but for what it's worth, if you strip out Nasdaq, that 24%, it actually increases your chances. So, hmm. But the market I'm referring to is the all share in general. So it okay. includes everything, basically. And the other thing is the statistics that you've just quoted, where South Africa is, is probably the most popular inflow destination in the world at the moment. Where the, and again, you've got to say to yourself, is that emerging markets? Is that every single market? If it is emerging markets, is it an African emerging market scene or a, a total emerging market universe that you're using? Because I speak to a fellow called Ian Cookshanks from the South African Institute of Race Relations every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, I think, for the last three months, he has said, Lindsay, there's been these outflows so far this year. So again, there are lies, damn lies, and the statistics that you two are coming up with. Yes. um, Yeah, look, the markets I'm referring to is predominantly emerging markets. Yep. Right. Correct. So, okay. uh, But remember also the, the flow, the nominal flow amounts, obviously, uh, the market is far smaller than, than the U.S. market. So it depends on how you measure it because if, if you look at the Chinese and U.S. market, the flows would be bigger because those markets are just so much bigger than, than what the SA market is. So if we had the same type of flows, then say, for example, of Chinese inflows, then our market actually would have had a problem because there wouldn't be enough space to place those flows. So it depends on, on, on how you measure it. Yes, I, I, I have to admit that. Mm-hmm. But the numbers I'm referring to is, is predominantly the likes of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, and so forth. Well, that's understandable. Um, that's okay. And I do understand the bond aspect as well. And I think if you put in the, the flows into the market and said, right, which asset class has done the best, it would probably be the bond story. Because, I mean, South Africa is not exactly a bastion of stability at the moment. But on the other hand, it's mm-hmm. not Venezuela. And when you see 9.3% bond yield and inflation at four and a half percent whatever our inflation rate is it doesn't matter if you can hedge your rand you're still getting a very very yes. decent real yield here i think that, that that's exactly the point that a lot of missing um as local investors if a guy from london who sits in london and he's managing an emerging market debt fund remember he doesn't ask all the questions we have about the zondo commission and all of those although hmm. we, we tend to think as of africans it's very important uh, that guy, it's predominantly portfolio flows. If so, if he can make within the next six months uh, the return he, he wants to or require, his required return from a SA bond, he'll buy it. Because like you said, he, he actually at current real yields, he can, he can hedge out the currency risk as well. And we've seen a very sharp sell-off in, in the currency. So you're not starting from a very expensive currency point of view. So I think that that's exactly what's happening. And, and that's what, what we've seen for now for quite some time is the bonds sell off to a certain level, and then we see inflows again. So it yes. does seem as though there's a level where the global market is pricing us at and saying, okay, anything above this, it looks cheap. Anything below this, 
we'll start offloading and taking profits again. Yes. But like you say, I mean, if, if you the analogy I would use, again, just before you go on, the analogy I would use here yep. is let's say you've got that sharp suited yuppie sitting in London pressing buttons on his emerging market desk and he sees the, the numbers, very simply the numbers. He knows where South Africa is because he has a cousin that went there and went to Cape Town for a couple of weeks and came back with glowing reports. So he thinks, well, my cousin didn't get mugged and she had a wonderful time. So therefore, South Africa is probably a good place to go. And I might go there myself. It's like somebody and then he presses the button and buys. It's like somebody saying, well, British American Tobacco sells cigarettes, but I'm still going to invest in it because it gives me a dividend yield of X, even though it's killing young children in the Philippines who are smoking from the age of six. So you put aside these matters and someone in London it will think of Zonda and think of it as a Scandinavian sports car or something, not a commission that yep. is delving deep into the South African psyche. Yep, that's exactly so. And, and it's also, I mean, we've been in... in We've been to London in, in the beginning of Feb, and had to, I mean, it, it just it, it was when I came back. Uh, we did a video about it as well. Um, it, it felt as though South Africa has almost disappeared from from the global uh, you know investment society, or you know, so there was, was very little focus on what is actually happening in South Africa. What is Ramaphosa doing? The likes of the things we are focusing on. Um, there was very little questions about it. There was very little holdings in South Africa. Um, but I think especially fund managers or investment professionals, they tend to, a lot of them, look from the bottom up. So if something uh, pops out as value, they will start looking at it. And the questions they would be asking is, am I going to get my money back? Is there any uh, examples of defaults in, in the, in the not-too-distant not past or even the distant past? And South Africa doesn't have that. And it's a very liquid, very deep market. Yes. So you can get your money out. It's not Nigeria. You can quickly swap out the rands for, for pounds or dollars, whatever you want to. Um, those are the types of questions they might be asking. But whether the Zondo Commission is working or not, or whether the social tension is boiling over or not, those are not really the questions they, 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 they answer or ask or want answered. Those are more the guys who invest for the long term. So like those, those um, the funds from the Norwegian funds where they – or the pension, offshore pension funds, they invest for a very long-term uh, – or long-time horizon. So for them, it's important. So the, so, the, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth those, Fund, which you've just yep. referenced, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund will have a look at South Africa and say, these are not short-term flows we're looking at here. We're looking at long-term foreign direct investment, and we can't invest exactly. in this particular solar industry because the solar needs some electricity in order to put it up perversely. And yep. if we can't get the – if we can't get the power that we need in order to construct this plant in the middle of the Karoo, whatever it is, th there's no point. So they will look at Eskom, whereas the, the chap in London with the bond trading portfolio won't worry too much about Eskom. Yep, that's exactly the point, I think. And it's also, and look, I'm, I'm not saying that the, 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 these flows are what's driving markets predominantly, but I mean, the, the, some of the moves on some of the shares has just been astounding. You know? if, if you look at BTI, you've mentioned it now. Uh, the price has gone up to to over 600, and it's now back to 570 odd uh, thereabout. Mm. And and it comes from a low of 400 and something. And this all happened within six months. Uh, so, gee, the, the the price movement has just been astounding in terms of of the pace and the extent of 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 the move we've seen on some of the shares. Um, now, whether that's that's driven by, by foreign flows or locals, I'm not sure. 
Um, but it does, so, it does look as though the market's it's fairly skittish and anything that's, that's undervalued or perceived to be undervalued moves quite quickly. It corrects quite quickly as well. Um, a smaller share like Coronation, for example, uh, that share also had gone down to 40. It's now back up to almost 50. Uh, and then people don't realize that that's an increase of 25% on a share price. So there's definitely, and we've spoken about this in the past as well, there's definitely opportunities in the market that you need to be selective and you would have to be nimble to, to make use of these opportunities. And you don't have to, you know, the, the old saying of don't get married to something, I think that's very true. <laughs> in so many ways. Um, when, you, when, you see, when you see something like Coronation, for example, going down to 40, and then I did notice that one particular fund manager having a very close look at it and increasing its stake quite substantially, and it goes back to 50. You've got to have a look at it and say, from whence has, from where has this come? You have to look at it from whence it came. So it came from... What did it come from? Was it a hundred rand a share? Eighty. Thing? Yeah, well, it was trading at a hundred at one stage before it, but but just before it started really declining, I think it was coming from a base of about eighty, eighty, ninety thereabout. Yeah. Um, but but the high was 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 a hundred. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, I mean, it's it's all got to do with 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 the valuation in terms of earnings expectations, and even even that that crude I mentioned in the beginning of of the discussion. Um, that's all. That, I mean, there's only three variables in, in, the, in that ratio, and the one is the price of shares, the other one is the earnings, and the mm. other one is the interest you could earn. So it's it's not very difficult to work out. Uh, obviously, making the assumptions or the forecasts is not as easy. But um, earnings, if, even if you just assume that that earnings just stays level, or just at inflation, um, so there's 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 no real growth included in it because remember, inflation is just. It just says the price is going up by inflation, and that's, that's why earnings goes up by, by inflation on the all-share market as a whole. Yeah. And you've, you keep the price stable. It takes, it takes just a little bit of movement from, from the interest rate. Remember that giant bar rate um, is almost a type of expectation from the short-term cash market as to what interest rates will do in the future. So if we do move into a scenario where people might be seeing or market participants might be seeing a more stable inflation outlook and even a lower inflation outlook, that rate could easily come down and which makes it more, you know, more attractable or attractive, attractable, attractive for investors. It's a good word, I like that, attractable. Yeah, it's a new word. We just coined it. I don't know if you patented it. Um, Yeah. So so it it, it makes it even more attractive for for investors. And and just on on that basis, I mean, I've covered a lot now. Um, but if you look at inflation, and this is also something I think it's worth uh, looking at, there's a, there, there's, there's a lot of headlines now about the petrol price increase, which was big. Mm. Um, but one needs to remember that it's, uh, inflation is measured on a year-on-year basis. And towards uh, past May, almost from, from May last year, 2018, June, July and onwards, um, petrol, uh, yeah, well, petrol prices and therefore well, Brent, increased quite substantially priced back to rands and also the petrol prices increased so you have got a very very high base towards the end of 2018 so although we've had this increase in petrol prices petrol prices on a year-on-year basis doesn't look concerning yet Um, so if the brent price and the dollar uh, the rand stays where it is we could be heading into lower inflation and that that works quite favorably into the lower interest environment and so the it is a rosy picture, and it could it just as well be other way around. But I'm just saying there is a very high base that was built up in 2018. So 
don't be concerned or don't be surprised or don't yeah or don't be surprised if inflation actually surprises to the downside towards the end of the year yes. we might see another month or two of higher inflation but then given the, the high base we might actually move into a lower inflation towards year end again yes and indeed the actually the, the, the Bureau yes, for Economic Research came out with its inflation expectations for this year and next year as well. And I think they even went a little bit further. And they were all tempered. They weren't quite as bad as people thought. And with the petrol price going from whatever it was to an extra one euro, oh, sorry, one rand 30 per litre, yep. uh, you'd think to yourself, well, that's... That's, that's pretty high. But as you pointed out, it's coming off a low base. And also, don't forget that when it comes to inflation, there's two things that are incredibly important, as well as the oil price and energy costs, even though Eskom has put up its prices. And that is the RAND, the dollar RAND exchange rate, the euro RAND exchange rate, because that is a great inflation importer or exporter, indeed, if the RAND is strong. And the other thing is local demand. And local demand is pretty pathetic at the moment. Yep, I think that that is the most concerning part of the economy currently, and that's something that's not going to be changed quickly unless we see cuts in interest rate, which it seems the Reserve Bank is set on not doing, which one can understand because there's still a lot of risk out and we've got the elections coming up. And there's on the commission all of those things that we tend to focus on as of Africans. So look, the, uh, 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 I think the Reserve Bank, and we've spoken about this at length in the past as well, the Reserve Bank has got a very difficult task um, because there is no growth, um, but yet you can't also go ahead and just cut. So they want to make sure that inflation expectations is at 4.5 or lower, and I think we are moving towards that, and then they would consider cutting. So, you know, yeah, that, that, that's the, the, the problem is local demand. I mean, if, if you look at food retailers, the earnings is, is now negative. Well, it's been negative for a while now. The sector, but it's even lower now, which tells you that there is very little local, local demand, the consumer demand locally. If you, look at, if you look at some of the results, and there wasn't a lot of results out this, this week, um, actually very little. Yes. Uh, Robex, for example, which is a local uh, infrastructure company, so predominantly focused on roads, and I mean, those the earnings has, has fallen by I think close to 100 percent, if not more than 100 percent, reduction in earnings. So it shows you the balance sheet of, of the company. The, the management still seems to think it's strong, but there is no contracts being given out. And we've seen it in, in Delta Property as well, also a much smaller property player, um, struggling to sign leases, and and that's why the price went down. I think by something like 60 or 80 percent, um, if not more. So. Clearly, there is a problem in South Africa. The problem is growth, but growth, I think, combined with the inability of, of government to actually sort out stuff, to put policy reform through, to put infrastructure projects through. So we would have to see a change in, in that before we see an uptick in, in, in economic growth in South Africa, um, unless it's going to be driven by the consumers due to interest rates being cut. I mean, that's the only saving grace I can see for, for economic growth currently is more buoyant consumer than what we have currently. We're going to take a break now. We've had a look back and now we're going to have a look forward in part two of the weekly wrap. And that'll be back in a moment with Arnu Smith from Sky Blue Fund Managers. To keep in touch with the latest podcasts on strictlybusinesspodcast.com, you can follow at Strictly Pods on Twitter. That's at Strictly Pods. 
Welcome back to the Weekly Wrap. Weekly Wrap Part 2 is populated as Part 1 was by Arnu Smith from Sky Blue Fund Managers. We had a lengthy chat, having not spoken for a while about what's past. Let's have a look at the future now. And the short-term future is very simple next week. Production data is in focus in South Africa. We've got manufacturing and mining production coming up next week, Arnu. And the last two, three months' worth of data has been really, really poor. I mean, mining in particular yep. has suffered, manufacturing doing absolutely nothing. And these are big chunks of the South African economy we're talking about here. Yeah, looking at that, I don't think we should be expecting much better data coming out from, from those two sectors. I think it's both of them are struggling. And we've even seen some of the mines more and more talking about moving out of South Africa. Mm. But the funny thing is, the irony is that the resource shares has, has done by far the best <laughs> out of the all share. All the all share, you probably wanted to, not probably, you wanted to be in, in the likes of Platts and, mm. and Iron Ore and so forth. So Anglos and, 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 and the likes has done very, very well. Um, so it doesn't really align with, with the numbers we are seeing. Um, but yeah, like I said, look, those are long-term structural things that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to change. Now, we have seen the new the 12 billion rand loan from the BRICS Bank for Madupi and uh, Kusile um, coming in. So at some stage, those projects was, would, would be restarted again. Um, but before we see uh, you know that changing and we see those projects actually being actioned and you know restarting, I really don't see how, how you can see a big uplift um, unless it's just, just statistical in either mining or, or manufacturing. Uh, I think we're just going to have these lackluster numbers for a while longer and until we see a drastic action from uh, you know government and, and actually restarting uh, projects and giving out tenders and so forth. Until we get there, I just, I just don't see it. I think... Um, you know, and, and confidence would have to come from government. Otherwise, yeah. it's highly unlikely that we'll see uh, much higher numbers. So it might be that we will see higher numbers, but it's from a low base. So it's statistical. That's what I'm meaning with statistical. Um, but uh, if you look at a longer term trend, it's highly unlikely that we'll see a, a huge um, uptick in, in manufacturing and mining. Markets and macroeconomics are at odds with each other at the moment. And there is, to me, a myriad of contradictions Every single day when I wake up and I talk on, on this podcasting site, I get contradicted or I start to contradict myself. On the one hand, you've got an inverted yield curve, which tells you that there is a highly likely event of a recession in the United States of America. And if there's one in the United States of America, it will spread to Europe if there's not already one in Europe, given the German numbers. China slowing down, and they, they're very, very quick, the Chinese, to prop the economy up but is it going to work we don't know yet so there's all these these predictions about a slowing global economy and yet the first three months of this year has been spectacularly good when it comes to the S&P 500 never mind the MSCI let's talk about the S&P 500 the world's biggest economy and then the most important index to my mind doing so so well so what do we believe the macro or the market yeah, yeah that that's the problem so South Africa uh, in South Africa yeah almost want to say blessed with much cheaper markets. Um, but if you look globally, they, it does look as though, I mean, I, I was reading uh, something this morning and that guy coined the bear market we've seen in, towards the end of 2018, beginning 2019. Um, he, called, he called it a flash bear market. Now, I don't know if, he, if something like that exists, but it flash does now. bear market. Because it's, it's, all those losses is really 
we've made up all of them. So, so whatever that was, whether it was a correction, which it seems more likely, or whether it was a bear market, um, that seems to be in the past now. And uh, like you say, from a top down, and that's where we started the whole conversation as well, from a top down, the world is not in a very good space, you know. And I think there's a lot of hope currently being placed on on, on, on the trade talks. And um, those the, the messages coming out from the trade talks is also very confusing because uh, from one day they'll tell you it seems that they're making progress. China's now made some submissions, so they're making progress. Trump says uh, China's now... He thinks playing ball or whatever the words is he uses. And, but the next day, then it seems as though everything is breaking down again. So it's these confusing messages that is really, um, I think, uh, swinging the markets to and fro. And, you know, the, the sentiment is just, I almost want to say, from one day to the next. Yeah. And I think that that's what's, what's playing into the market. But I'd, I would caution, if you look at especially something like the S&P 500, Again, there was a reason why it corrected when when it corrected in 2018. It was priced in terms of almost not perfection, but close to perfection in terms of earnings growth. So the proof would be again uh, once we see earnings. So if earnings are going to disappoint, the market will most probably just um, correct again. So I think the market isn't pricing in uh, quite quite a substantial earnings growth, um, and the, the test would be when we see earnings coming out, whether the market can actually meet it, or are they going to disappoint? And, and I don't really see, you know, again, earnings is, a, is also, one should always remember, earnings is also a year-on-year number. So there's also a base effect even in earnings. So it's purely statistical. But if the number is to be expected to be 20%, it's much easier to get to 20% if your base is very low. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens with earnings and how the market perceives the earnings coming through. But but economic, it's very hard to see why earnings would be any higher or much higher than what we've had in 2018 because there hasn't really been any, any economic growth. If any, I, w- I would probably say there was a, was a slowdown since then. So it's very hard to, to argue where that earnings is going to come from. Look, I, I think China is sort of, on its own, and uh, I think it works for them, and they're sorting out their own issues over the longer term, and I think they are taking a much longer-term approach. And um, it's a much more controlled economy, so for them it's, it's easier. It's not as open, so it's much more centrally controlled, which makes it more manageable. Um, even the debt levels makes it the debt levels more manageable. Um, and like I said, whereas in, in the Everything that's coming out from Trump is very short-term, medium-term focused. Um, you know, I want to sort it out now. I want this, and the Fed has screwed the uh, economic growth up over the last six months. It's very short-term. China's taking a very different approach. Theirs is much more longer-term focused, opening up the market uh, sustainably and you know, stuff like that. So where it will end up, it's, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But yes, like I said, I would be very surprised if, if earnings does surprise substantially to the upside, given the economic growth we've seen up until now. Give us some tips, if you would. Uh, we've been talking broadly and expansively about macroeconomics and sectors and flows and things that are not really telling us what to do. I want to know what to do, as well as a lot of other people I know. So is there anything that you're doing as Sky Blue Fund Managers that uh, we, we should know about? Has anything changed? So, so we that downweighted slightly our offshore exposure, um, which was in time. Uh, whether you should do it now, it's obviously a different question. 
but we have downloaded some of our offshore exposure and moved it into local um, predominantly equities and longer-term bonds, but also a bit of cash just to protect um, the portfolios. But remember, that those those moves are based, obviously, on the risk profile of the portfolio and the benchmark. In my own portfolio, so that's not Skyblue, that's not Arne Schmidt, <laughs> my own portfolio, yeah. um, I have slowly started buying some property exposure, local property exposure. Um, uh, but I would have to caution anybody who wants to follow me that there's a lot of risk in that. Um, things can still go pear-shaped. Uh, but I just think a lot of bad news is already priced into those local local, local uh, property counters. I mean, you buy them at, at, at yields close to 15, uh, if not higher. Even if we get a substantial decrease in distributions, even if it's negative, it's still a very nice yield you're buying them. But yes, there is definitely a lot of risk in that. Uh, so it could go lower before it goes higher because because of economic growth. We've just spoken about it. Uh, I read an article yesterday, uh, lots of office space in Santon also empty. Um, so this over, oversupply of office space in certain nodes, um, that's concerning. And you also, I think you need to be very clever in terms of if you want to start buying those local SA-focused type of plays, you need to be very what you buy. Don't go out and buy just anything because there is definitely with low economic growth, there would be places where retail, uh, you know, the, the off retail um, shopping centers wouldn't do well. So you probably want to be in, in, in shopping centers that, that's more centralized and bigger and, and more better quality um, than your low quality. Um, so that's the type of thing I, I would look at. Look, I'm, 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 I'm fairly confident that South Africa can sort out the issues, but it's going to take time. It's not something that's going to happen within six months or a month. Uh, you would have to be patient. And we will be patient because, as you say, we have to be patient. Thank you so much for your analysis, Anu. That's Anu Schmidt from Sky Blue Fund Managers. And that was the weekly wrap. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.